0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: It's become a passion of mine to be honest about those things and try to inspire others and let them know that, you know, if you might be going through a tough time now or struggling with something now that you can get through it.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you what, I'm coming back from taping this week in agribusiness and there are spotty thunderstorms popping up across Iowa. Could be some severe weather wrapped up in these bad boys. The heat and humidity is causing things to fire off. Delaney, I know you are in Mm -hmm. central Iowa. What are
2: you seeing? Yeah, we've had a little bit of showers this afternoon. But, you know, I was looking at the weather radar earlier and widespread it doesn't look like a ton of cell activity. I mean, you look at the radar, it's small pockets here and there, not like massive storm cell. You know, you see some of those that stretch from the Dakotas all the way down to, like, Oklahoma, Arkansas. So this one's definitely just little spotty pockets here and there.
0: Yeah, little popcorn storms popping up, but they could be severe. And I was talking to uh, our meteorologist, Greg Solier, it looks like we could see this kind of activity across the Corn Belt for the next 24 hours. So, I mean, I know a lot of folks are concerned about this heat wave coming and topsoil moisture. Uh, You know, it's going to be a story of the haves and the have-nots, those that get this rain. You know that's great news unless it comes mm-hmm. with high wind or hail or tornado but yep. those that don't i mean it is going to cook this next week
2: yeah it certainly is speaking so we of, will
0: speaking of cooking actually i i was talking to my uh my friends down at divot texas uh yesterday and i understand uh ash supposed to be like 105 for you guys
3: yeah we're expecting a whole whole lot of heat in the next i think like up to two weeks so I'm going to have to just keep myself inside for the next couple of days, I think.
0: Yeah, I've heard it is uh, basically you know, wiping out cotton crop that, A, either dry land or, B, only has light irrigation. So it's, it's going to change some things up. I think we're going to see the market paying a lot of attention to what's coming out of the sky over the next week. But Delaney, I, I cut you off. What were you going to say?
2: I don't even remember at this point.
0: All right. Well, what news are
2: you are watching? Well, it's a little bit of a slower news day today, but uh, we do, of course, have the WASDE report out tomorrow. And ahead of that WASDE report, see a little bit of activity going on in D.C., amongst other things. But one story I was watching for today, not really markets related, was related, though, to the Bayer slash Monsanto lawsuit that we continue to see about Uh, Roundup ready and whether or not it does cause cancer and or non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And so we saw on Wednesday that a U.S. district judge, excuse me, on Monday, I should say, on Monday, the decision to withdraw the motion came after a ruling from a U.S. district judge was expressed where he said he doubts the legality of the proposed settlement agreement. So to give a little recap here, uh, you know, of course, we've got the plaintiffs on the one side and we've got um, Bear on the other. And so this proposed class or group of people and their attorneys made a motion to withdraw on Wednesday then for preliminary approval of the agreement. So from what I understand, again, I'm not an attorney, um, now with this kind of new monkey wrench thrown into things here, they said basically that the way that they've laid out the settlement agreement as is, for whatever reason is not legal, or as the judge is saying, calls into question a lot of different things. And so the current suggested Settlement would provide about $1.1 billion to support research on the treatment as well as provide treatment on a need based assistance for people diagnosed with non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And this proposal also called for a five member science panel to examine the question of whether or not it exposes or whether or not exposure causes this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so now it sounds like essentially they go back to the drawing board to decide, okay, if this settlement was deemed not legal, what does that mean now? And how do both sides bear and then the folks represented in the class action or their lawyers, how do they come together and create a new settlement agreement?
0: Yeah, it's, It's a fascinating story, and I've been watching the same one develop, It really, it seems like it comes down to that bit you mentioned at the end there, which is the five-member panel to determine whether or not, finally, once and for all, does Roundup cause cancer? And Mm -hmm. they really put this in there because this is what they were going to use. If any, if this council in two to three years came out and said, nope, Roundup does not cause cancer that would have insulated Bayer from any future claims going forward. And that's what they were really hoping for to make this thing go away. So they're not constantly getting these new lawsuits popping up every time somebody you know, gets cancer. So now that this has been called into question, could Bayer quit selling Roundup if they can't find mm-hmm. a way to resolve these lawsuits uh, or at least find a way to address the future risk posed by these lawsuits and, yeah. I mean, that's certainly in the cards after right, a $10 billion check. You know, they don't want to be doing that every couple of years.
2: I guess that was a caveat that I really hadn't considered. I mean, I guess we're seeing that with Dicamba, so it could be possible it happens with Roundup as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's a volatile situation. I think they, I think we all thought they had this thing kind of nipped in the bud. This, yes, you know both sides agreed to this, but now the judge is saying, "Hey, this I, the whole settlement might not even be constitutional." Uh, so I can't really sign off on
3: it. Right.
0: Uh, well, you know, as long as we're talking things happening uh, you know, globally in the world of agriculture. Um, We have seen a massive rally in the wheat market this week. Uh, We've seen a lot of, uh, or at least a few Middle Eastern countries stepping into the market, looking to make some purchases. And we've got news out of Syria that because of uh, new sanctions, basically we're we're not going to be selling any wheat to Syria going forward, they could face severe bread shortages. Now, it's assumed that as prices rise in Syria, as bread becomes less and less available, you know, people are going to start, you know, Black market, bread selling from other foreign countries, the other Middle Eastern countries, exacerbating the the need for grain in that region. And uh, they think this could lead to substantial inflation in Syria, a country which is still destabilized by the ongoing civil war that's there. So this is going to be something that last time we saw bread prices skyrocket in the Middle East was really the start of the Arab Spring movement when we, you know, kind of deposed a bunch of Middle Eastern leaders and a lot of reform movements got started, upended that region. We, you know, there's a possibility that a similar thing could start here in Syria if bread prices start to inflate. So, you know, anytime people say agriculture doesn't matter on the geopolitical world stage, we're not important. No, agriculture changes regimes. And Syria is a country to watch over the next several weeks as uh, we see what happens with Bashar al-Assad's government.
2: I'm not going to lie. It's a little comical to me that you're talking about selling bread on the black market.
0: <laughs> People got to eat.
2: I know. it just It's just like comical is maybe not the best word. It's just like, wow, this is now the society that we live in.
0: Well, and, you know, luckily, for our sake, we don't live in it. But uh, well, a lot right. of poor Syrians certainly do. And it's going to suck. Yeah. Well, Ashton, you got any news for us today? I
3: do. And uh, I just want to say that I'm at my parents' house right now and they live out in the country. So their Wi-Fi isn't the best. But this headline gave me a little bit of hope for those rural communities that don't always have the best Connection to the digital world. But earlier today, 49 organizations spanning over multiple industries across the U.S. announced that they have joined forces as part of a coalition dedicated to helping close America's digital divide and it was convened by farmer-owned cooperative Land Lakes Incorporated. The newly formed American Connection Project Broadband Coalition, it's a little bit of a mouthful, will advocate for public and private sector investment to bring high-speed internet infrastructure to rural communities. In addition to advocating for policies and contributing their own resources to facilitate remote education, health, and mental health services, job opportunities and more with the goal of connecting and lifting up all American communities through access to modern digital technology. And the coalition is continually adding members who share a desire to connect the country and uh, the country or the coalition, my apologies, recognizes that bridging America's digital divide is a costly goal, but firmly believes that it's worth the investment. So there's been multiple reports over the years and it's been debated on whether or not this is going to cost $80 billion. And some have said 130 to $150 billion over the next five to seven years to adequately support rule coverage and 5G wireless connection but a study from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Technology Engagement Center has found that, quote, better adoption of online tools and digital services by businesses outside metropolitan areas could create 360,000 new full time jobs in rural areas and add more than 140 billion to the U.S. economy over the next three years, end quote. So I'm a little bit excited to see how this coalition plays out and if they actually do get to help close America's digital divide.
0: Yeah, yeah, faster internet in rural areas is certainly something that I think, as more folks look at working from home, is going to be Mm, widely celebrated. It opens up a lot more people to be able to do more stuff out in the countryside.
3: Absolutely, and I think that that was Land Lakes' kind of mission throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, and I think that that was kind of what inspired it or kind of lit a fire under them, I suppose.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, Delaney, I have another piece of positive news. Um, do you have any other stories you want to talk about that are negative before I can maybe give something to lift people oh, up?
2: Oh, okay. Uh, no, I mean, I actually have some other positive pieces of news as well.
0: Outstanding. Well, I'll jump into my then, and we'll just go from there. We got some upbeat news on the podcast today, folks. It's an exciting day. Um, my news is coming out of California we in agriculture have been talking about the issue of citrus greening for some time this is the bacteria that gets into citrus plants oranges uh, in particular it devastated Florida. it gets in there it costs the fruit to turn green before it turns ripe and then it's, it's ruined and we have seen entire orchards and groves levels because of this disease over the past five to seven years. Well, a researcher at uh, UC Riverside, University of California Riverside, has spent five years digging into this problem, testing all kinds of different products and you know, solutions and treatments and whatnot, and finally has found one that appears to work. This treatment that uh, this researcher has found is a molecule called a peptide. And it's an antimicrobial thing that exists in wild limes, basically. And this researcher has been able to separate it out, has been treating trees with it for two years. You could spray it on, you can inject it, only has to be applied a few times a year. And so far, the results have been phenomenal. They've been carrying out tests in Florida. They appear to be successful. They're also carrying out tests in California. And it seems like it's cost-effective. So this is potentially a solution to citrus greening, which is needed to help save the American citrus industry and probably, truly, citrus industries around the world. So folks, get out there and have an orange this weekend and celebrate a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And to follow up on that news as well, um, I mean, this is not necessarily upbeat, but I think it's positive, especially for those folks that work in the produce industries like citrus the USDA has now announced that they are going to extend additional funding under the CFAP or Coronavirus Food Assistance Program to some of those more produce specialty markets such as alfalfa, arugula, basil beans, blackberries, you know, you name it. It's if it's grown, you know, especially in California, Florida, some of those Exterior states, it is probably now covered, including apples, blueberries, garlic, potatoes, raspberries, tangerines, and uh, quite a laundry list of others. So those people will be able to receive funding as well, since they've also been pretty des- or, uh, yeah, pretty uh, desperately hit by COVID-19.
0: Absolutely. That is good news. Ashton, do you have any other stories for us to talk about before we jump into the markets?
3: No, Mike. I'm all out of news.
0: All right. Well, let's jump into the markets. Before we do, we do have a new release of a yield estimate for this year. Bar Chart is releasing their yield estimates on a monthly basis. They just published their most recent one, and their numbers are much lower than I've seen in uh, the balance sheets of other traders, possibly having an impact on the market, maybe showing that Crop size could be shrinking. Bar chart said they believe the corn crop for this year, the average yield is going to be 173.8, with soybeans at 48.8 bushels per acre across the nation. Well, concern of a smaller crop certainly continues to boost pricing. Looking at the corn market, July corn was up three cents at 351 and a quarter. December up two and three quarters to close at 357 even. In soybeans, the July was up three and a half cents on the day at 898 and a quarter. November up four and a quarter to finish at 901 and a half. And wheat continues to power to the upside. Not nearly as big a move as yesterday, but still in the green. July up eight and three quarter cents at five twenty six and a quarter. December up eight and a quarter cents, closed at five thirty. Even looking over at the world of livestock, we've got more green on the screen today. All down through the complex. August live cattle up ten cents at ninety nine twenty five. October up forty two fifty, finished at one hundred three ninety two and a half. Lean hogs powerful move to the upside today. August up two dollars twenty seven and a half cents at fifty twenty two fifty. October. Up $1. seventy-five, closing the day at 50 55 And we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry, Class Three milk. I, I can never really believe these numbers when they come in like today. The July contract, up $0.51, cents, broke through $24 to settle at 24 dollars weight. August, up $0.75, cents, closed the day at 22 28 We have gone from catastrophe in the dairy market just a year ago to prices, I mean, within shouting distance of record territory. It's unbelievable. But I tell you what, we got other things going on. Ashton, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview?
3: Today, I got the opportunity to talk to Rachel Couture, who is a very interesting woman, might I add, is the CEO and founder of Ranch House Designs.
4: Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Engine oil is like gasoline. It is fungible. That is defined as being so alike in chemical composition that it could be mixed with other brands. Though that is true, most engine experts, including me, avoid mixing oil brands. The reason for that logic is based on negating the additive package that makes the oil brand specific. For example, if brand A has a high level of detergent and brand B has a minimal level, then the attribute that you purchase brand A for becomes compromised. In addition, most oils also have ingredients identified as swelling agents and conditioners to maintain the integrity of engine seals and gaskets. Though it is rare for this to occur, there is the possibility of an antagonistic effect as would occur with a potential sprayer tank mix. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles.
3: Today on the podcast, we have Rachel Cotrere. I'm hoping I'm saying that right, Rachel. Um, you'll have to correct me if not. But Rachel is the CEO and founder of Ranch House Designs. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Ashton. I'm excited to be here and, and, and to talk with you. Awesome. So um, my first question, or not really a
1: question, but will you just kind of tell us a little bit about Ranch House Designs and what you guys do? Sure. So Ranch House Designs is a um, an ag marketing firm that specializes in logo and web design. And we're based out of Bowling, Texas, which is a tiny town um, in South Texas, about an hour south of Houston. And um, today we serve about 750 website clients um, around the world um, in which we do their website, do all their updates. Um, And then our next biggest business is probably doing branding and logo design, where we help new businesses get started with developing their logo and their brand messaging. Um, We also do a lot of social media, and we're really proud to work with a lot of the leading seed stock breeders in the USA as far as helping them with sale catalog, sale promotion, um, just different things like that. I We've actually been in business over 20 years. I started Ranch House back in 1999 when I was just a sophomore in college, and it was kind of a little side hustle. I went full-time with it um, in 2003. And um, now we have a team of 14 uh, women, mostly all women and two guys. Um, And from our little town in Texas, we're able to serve you know some of the top ranches and ag businesses around the world. And so it's really awesome and we appreciate all of our customers and you know all the people who've trusted us to help them with their important marketing for these last 20 years. Absolutely.
3: And and before we get to really getting in deep about ranch house designs, why don't you
1: tell me a little bit about your background in agriculture? Okay. So, I grew up on a cattle ranch here on the Gulf Coast and I grew up showing Brahmin and shorthorn cattle um, and then uh, I went to Texas A&M and got a bachelor's in animal science. And I loved the animal science program, but I, I knew that for me, I didn't really want to be like a vet or a nutritionist or something like that. But, but while I was a student at, in animal science, um, cattle marketing really caught my attention. And so um, I decided to pursue a master's degree in um, ag communications from Michigan State University. And really, at that time, um, this would have been back in the early 2000s. And in my opinion, Michigan State was just you know, the top of the top for purebred beef cattle programs at that time. Um, you had Harlan Ritchie there, Dr. Dave Hawkins, Ken Guns, um, Joel Cowley was there as a state extension specialist. Brett Barber was the uh, beef farm manager. And um, so just the opportunity to go to Michigan State was huge for me. And I was able to create... Basically, a a customized program that focused on marketing and public relations, but also had a core component of beef cattle. And so that is where I just really my passion for marketing and and purebred livestock marketing exploded. And I got to meet so many awesome people from the Midwest and get so many experiences and then eventually able to come back to Texas and, and put that to work. In my own operation and for our clients. And so I um, lived in College Station for a while um, because I was still young and single and I didn't really quite want to move back to the ranch. But I moved back to my hometown um, about 10 years ago. And now I'm a proud mother of two daughters. My husband and I also operate. Um, a Brahmin cattle operation called BR Cotrare Incorporated. It's BRC for Brandon and Rachel Couture. Um, we're the fourth largest Brahmin breeder in the USA. And so about half of my time now is spent at Ranch House Designs. Um, and then the other half doing um, our Brahmin cattle business, which is really exciting. I know maybe a lot of listeners maybe don't know about Brahmins, but We do a lot of business on a global level. So a lot of business in Central America, Mexico, Australia, you know, anywhere where it's hot and Brahmins really thrive. And so, yeah, I feel like I'm really lucky because I get to, you know, still be involved really hands on on a cattle ranch every day, but also get to talk to amazing agriculturalists all across the USA every day of the week. Um, So that's a little bit of background about me. Well, awesome, Rachel, and I'm—I didn't tell you this, but I—I am also from Texas,
3: but I'm from the Dallas area. But I've been down there around the coast, and I kind of have a special place in my heart for Brahman cattle. A lot of our listeners—they're kind of around the Corn Belt, and so I—I I don't think they know too much about Brahman cattle like you would. But uh, I want to touch on something. You mentioned that you started this in 1999, and I think that that's absolutely amazing. When you—when I think about marketing and stuff. I don't really think about how it's developed over the years and so how have you seen the industry grow and how have you adapted to to meet the industry
1: standard? Yeah, so it's crazy because in 99 I was a freshman or in 97 I was a freshman at A&M and the labs in our computer lab were like those old I think it was called a Tandy computer maybe that had like a one color. It was a black screen and the The letters and the color and stuff were green. So it wasn't even for for color on a computer screen. And back then, I did websites by code, like straight up HTML code. (laughs) So and a website now, now everybody is like, oh, websites, you know, it's pretty common. But back then, it was just unheard of. I mean, nobody had a website. And so I built... I, I thought websites were kind of cool. I built one for my grandfather's operation and it was one of the first cattle websites probably ever designed and then a lot of my friends in the cattle business started saying like that's so cool um, can you do one for us you know and I was like sure and that's really how my business took off initially is just kind of word of mouth through friends and so really ranch house was the one of the first web design firms and and definitely one of the first that, specialized in agriculture and cattle but then when you think past websites think about when Facebook came on the scene so I I don't know the exact year that it started but I do remember I was still working at A&M and when it originally came out you know you had to have a university address like at .edu to be able to be a member of Facebook Uh, do you remember that time (laughs) or no no Um, I I don't remember that but I have heard of it it kind of blows my mind a little bit (laughs) Yeah. And so since I was working at a and I was able to get on Facebook because I had a staff email address. And so then I've seen the like the era of introducing websites to cattle marketing and then also seen the era of introducing social media to cattle marketing. And that really completely changed things up. Um, and then now, I guess, probably one of the biggest areas that we're seeing a lot is email marketing. Um, that's something that's kind of new email and text marketing. Um, and, and even to some degree voice and Alexa search and things like that. So, yeah, and, and I don't feel old, but in the last 20 years, I have definitely seen a lot of new trends come out and I've kind of been proud to have been on the cutting edge of bringing a lot of those trends to the agriculture business and especially the purebred cattle business. You know,
3: this is really inspiring to me um, because I'm an agricultural communications student myself. And so I really love to hear about the history and how things have changed. And so I'm hoping, you know, when I get out in the industry, things will continue to just blow up. But uh, now that we kind of have the background out of the way, will you just tell me a little bit more about the services that you provide? Because I looked on your website and it is a lot of awesome stuff (laughs) that it looks like you guys are up to over there.
1: Yeah, we do basically anything and everything that can relate to marketing. But um, our tried and true core services are obviously web design. That was our first service that we started. And that's our biggest client area. Um, And we also do a lot of logo design because naturally, if people are coming to us and they're needing help from scratch, getting a brand developed, they're going to need a logo, first of all, because they're going to use their logo on everything. And so a logo is usually a pretty common starting point of the first project we work with on a client. And then um, from there, we could move to doing a Facebook page forum, uh, doing a website. Um, A lot of people right now are kind of um, struggling with the question of if I have a Facebook page, do I really need a website? And they do. You really need both because people search in different formats. Um, A lot of people go to Google first and then Facebook. But Um, We also do a lot of print advertising and sale catalogs. Um, So we do a lot of ads for, you know, clients that are going to be putting in the Angus Journal, the Brahman Journal, Hereford World, things like that. Um, Email marketing. So really the only two things that we don't really offer in terms of a marketing firm is photography and video. But there are there is actually A couple of great young ladies that have worked with Ranch House in the past, um, Melissa Grimmel and Paige Wallace and well, Melissa Shockey and um, Paige Arnold now. But both of those young ladies worked at Ranch House at one time and they're amazing photographers and Paige does amazing video. And so we refer a lot of business to them. But, um, yeah, we pretty much can do it all. There's 14 of us that work at Ranch House, um, including a team of designers, project managers. Um, writers, social media specialists. And so we really take a team approach. So on a, any given project, there's probably four to five different people that work on the project from start to finish, whether it's just like initial brainstorming and in collaboration or designer or strategist, you know, and, and that makes it fun too, because our clients really get a, a lot of brain power <laughs> on a project, you know, when they're, they're really pulling from a team of a lot of different people.
3: So if our audience wanted to go on your website and look at all of these services, what kind of pricing are they going to be looking at?
1: Okay, so really, I feel like I I try to keep our pricing um, as as affordable as possible, because really at the heart of everything at Ranch House, our customer is a grassroots farmer and rancher. And I know how it is Um, for us. You know, just being honest on our ranch, sometimes month to month, it's hard to, you know, pay that big feed bill or, <laughs> you know, pay some of those bigger farm expenses. So we try to keep our pricing um, fair to us and also fair to a client. So our logo design pricing is anywhere from three to eight hundred dollars, and um, our website pricing starts at eight hundred dollars, and and then it just goes up depending on you know the complexity of the website, but. Um, Our goal is to try to keep things fair so that farmers and ranchers don't have to really break the bank um, when they're, you know, wanting to advertise and promote their business. That's really important to me.
3: Of course. um, And I I would say that you guys aren't just marketing. I uh, actually bought the Sarah the Showman book series for my younger sister for Christmas this year. and I, and I saw that you guys have online courses as well. So why don't you give us a little bit of information about that
1: part? Yeah, of the business. sure. I know we do, we're we busy here. But um, so I mentioned that, you know, I worked for Extension and the Extension service and its mission is, is something that I really identify with. And I also, um, you know, like to be honest with people that I'm very blessed to be in a good position now with my career and personal life. But, you know, I went through some times where I was not making the best decisions and, you know, needed really just needed some mentors in my life and people to help me. And so it's become a passion of mine to be honest about those things and try to inspire others and let them know that. You know, if you might be going through a tough time now or struggling with something now that you can get through it and that there are, are a lot of people out there who want to help you. And, um, you know, for me, building a relationship with God and fellow people in the industry that I can count on really just changed my life. And so right now that I mean, I feel like that's kind of my passion right now. And so I try to do that through a couple of different ways. Um, I write the Sarah the Showman series, which It started out as a children's book series, um, more of like a picture book series for preschoolers. And now I actually do chapter books. But the goal of that series is really to let um, stock show kids out there know that, you know, it's okay to, For showing cattle to be your passion, and you might not want to be a cheerleader, you might not be good at athletics, but if you're good at showing cattle and that's what you love, that's really cool too. Um, And so that's kind of my goal with those books is to inspire and empower young people. Um, I also uh, created a group called Stock Show Sisters, and it's more of a it's a Christian ministry program that is is designed originally for young ladies on the stock show circuit, but it's really evolved to be a lot of moms and young showmen, again, just to let people know, like, I know there's a lot of temptation out there on the show circuit and then, and sometimes it's hard to make good choices, but let people know and let those young ladies know that there's a lot of women out there who believe in them and want to help them. Um, And then finally, our online courses is sort of where I try to bring in kind of the extension concept to Ranch House and um, just share the knowledge that, That our team has. So, one of our most popular courses right now would be the Farm to Table Boot Camp, because especially with the COVID um, coronavirus crisis and stuff, we've seen a huge spike in clients who are doing Farm to Table as a way to diversify their business. And, but it's kind of hard to get started in that, (laughs) especially if you're, if you know nothing about it. So, I have a branded beef product program for Farm to Table. So, we started that boot camp that really just gives people a crash course in. How to get started with selling their ranch raised beef. Um, and we try to come out with a couple new courses a year, just different things that people need help with learning and basic questions that people want to get asked. And maybe they don't know who to ask or where to turn to. And so education and, and giving back is something that's really important to, to me and the whole team here at Ranch House.
3: Rachel, it certainly sounds like you have your plate full over there, and it's really amazing things that I think are going on at Ranch House Designs. For our listeners, how how can they keep up with what's going on? Where can they find you on social media?
1: So we have a Facebook page for Ranch House Designs, and we also have an Instagram, and that's where we do most of our posting. Um, for my cattle business, it's uh, B R Coutrer, C U T R E R. And we post a lot of cattle information there. And, and then, of course, either of our websites, just ranchhousedesigns.com um, and com, And we try to keep all of those updated uh, daily to, to the most, uh, most of the time, daily updates on those, just to share some of the cool work that we're doing and some of the cool clients we get to work with. Alrighty, Rachel. Well, I'm super
3: excited to
1: see what comes of Ranch House
3: Designs and the future for that. And so I just want to take the time to thank you for taking the time out of your really busy schedule to come on and talk to us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Like I said, Rachel was very interesting to talk to, and I thank her for coming on to talk to me today and taking the time out of her very busy schedule. And it's definitely interesting, the things that they are doing at Ranch House Design, so I'm excited to see what the future holds for them. It's
0: Absolutely, Well, always... oh, Go ahead, Blaine.
2: It is exciting to talk to new people. in Ashton, again, you're doing a fantastic job uh, doing all those interviews by yourself. We certainly appreciate it. Well, thank
3: you. That's definitely an confidence boost.
0: Excellent. Well, folks, if you want to get caught up on other past interviews that Ashton has done or that the lady has done or that I've gotten to be a part of, hit up our website, agnewsdaily.com. You can get access to every past episode we have done. And as always, hit us up on social media. Check Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and we'll be there. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go?
3: Let's let them go.